There's plenty to celebrate in March and craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iheart radio's iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free this is tracy v wilson from stuff you missed in history class the national sales event is on at your toyota dealer making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, Have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Charges is created by Portal A and Control Media. It's produced by DB Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. This time, a former Suns player who you might remember as T-Rex. More video in just a moment, but this is Rex Chapman's mugshot, and we are learning a lot more about the charges. What were the darkest moments for you? You know, were there times that you thought you were at your wit's end? Man, it was difficult. And there were times that I had to be strong for the boys during the day, but then I would go out at night in my backyard and I would just break down. Here was this Jim Leyritz going through this DUI manslaughter, and then all of a sudden now add on wife beater. People always ask me, would you change anything about your life? And I said, I would not change anything but that night. Welcome to Charges. I'm your host, Rex Chapman. Today on the show, we have someone who's been on the top of the mountain and also made a fateful decision that led to a mountain crumbling beneath him almost completely, swallowing him whole. Thankfully, brick by brick, he built his way out from under the rubble and destruction to have a life of service to honor a tragedy. My guest today is a fellow Kentucky Wildcat, though he's most known as one of the most clutch hitters in New York Yankees history, Jim Leyritz. If you watch baseball in the 1990s, you had to know Jimmy behind the plate and in the batter's box. He wasn't someone who necessarily dominated the stat sheet day to day, but when it was your team in October, you better believe he was a guy you wanted to see up there. So what happens when you're the literal king of New York and your playing days end? Right off into the sunset? Show up every fall on the Big Apple, have fans buy you steak dinners, and you dine out the rest of your days a hero, right? Well, not exactly. 
In fact, in 2007, a tragedy happened that cost one person their life and put the rest of Jim's on trial. The purpose of this podcast is to give my peers a platform as they bear themselves to the mercy of you, the public. Some stories are cheerier than others. Be warned that this episode may be difficult to listen to at times. I'm honored to have here today Jim Layritz to tell us his story and talk to us about the journey he has been dedicating his life to, making sure his second chance is his lasting legacy. Jim, thanks for joining us. How are you, my fellow Wildcat brethren? Hey, listen, when I heard Rex Chapman wanted to have me on, and I'm going to a UK alum, and as a kid growing up in Cincinnati, Ohio, I loved basketball. It was my first love. And then to watch you come in 1986 to University of Kentucky, it's a pleasure to be interviewed by you. Man, I, that means it really does mean a lot. I know uh, the older we get, it, it sounds better to hear those things from back in the day. So <laughs> yeah. I, I don't take it lightly, but I played every sport growing up, baseball, football. I swam. Um, baseball, I, I couldn't hit. I mean, I was scared to get hit, right? So I'm stepping out all the time. But by the time I got to Kentucky, you were a legend. I mean, you played for Coach Madison, Keith Madison at UK. Oh, yeah. You know, I hung with some of the baseball players as well uh, after you left and you were famous before the internet, man. We didn't have a lot of guys going and playing in the big leagues from UK at that time. Tell me about the game of baseball. You're a kid in Ohio who doesn't follow, you know, any traditional route to the big leagues. How did you come into the game and what did it mean to you? Yeah, you know, it was a situation I grew up in. Again, like I said, basketball was my first love. But after my junior year of school, high school, my dad said, listen, realistically, if you want to be a professional athlete, you have to play baseball. And it was a tough thing to hear. Uh, but at the same time, I was just, you know, I was like, okay. And, um, you know, I, I played with a guy that you know, a guy named Barry Larkin. Him and I were teammates. Yeah. Yeah. So coming from Cincinnati, I grew up a big Red Machine fan. Uh, that was my influence. Tommy Brenneman was one of my best friends growing up. And I used to go to spring training as a bat boy in the, in the 74, 75, 76, the big years of the big Red Machine. And uh, it was just something that, you know what, I, I remember Johnny Bench, uh, one time gave me his catcher's mitt, signed it to me. There's a whole story behind it. We don't have time for all that. But he signed it to me, and that day I became a catcher. And because of that is the reason I got an opportunity to play in the big leagues. Growing up in Kentucky, we didn't have pro sports anywhere around. We had to go to Indianapolis to watch the Pacers, and we had to go to Cincinnati. Growing up there, I can only imagine that that team, Pete Rose, Dave Concepcion, and George Foster, and all those guys. I only came to a couple games, but man, it, it made such a huge impression on a kid from, you know, the country in, in Kentucky. Jim Leritz was an absolute stud as a young baseball player and was projected as the number two prospect before Hall of Famer Barry Larkin. He had played at a junior college in Georgia before transferring to the University of Kentucky, where he became a stud. Four days before the MLB draft, Jim fractured his foot playing tennis and found himself going undrafted. Talk to me about your journey from college to the big leagues, especially in the late 80s and 90s. What's it like in the minor league farm system? You know, how do you as a catcher show your value? Yeah, see, back in those days, um, I was never drafted. And so I was playing in a collegiate league out in Hayes, Kansas, and they signed me out of there. And it's just really interesting because the only reason I signed with the New York Yankees, it was between them and the Kansas City Royals, is because the Yankees said, we'll pay for you to go back to college and finish your college. 
And my mother was like, you take that offer because I want you to finish and get your degree, which I never did. But I spent four years in the minor leagues. After my first year in in the minor leagues, I had a great year, uh, and then all of a sudden I went to Double A, and the Yankees drafted a kid in the first round, a catcher out of Stanford University, and all of a sudden they came to me and said, "Hey, listen, you're not going to catch anymore. You got to go back and learn how to play the outfield and third base again." Wow! And so it was just a continual thing of changes. And I look back at it now, Rex, and I go, "Listen, thank God they did, because that versatility is what kept me around 11 years in the big leagues." You know, at the time the Yankees stunk. So it was an opportunity to go through the minor leagues fairly quick and get a chance to play at the big league level. And when I first got caught up in 1990, you know, the Yankees were horrible. Gene Michael was the GM at the time, and he called me in the office. He said, listen, Mr. Steinbrenner's on suspension. It's the only reason I'm giving the minor league guys an opportunity because normally George would trade for the free agent. He didn't bring up the minor league kids. And he goes, I'm going to give you a chance. And if you do good, you're going to open up the door for a lot of your other teammates. Now, I'm going, well, yes, thank you. But okay, now that's not too much pressure. <laughs> yeah, right. And you know? what? how old were you at the time? 25-ish? I was actually 26 years old. Yeah. So yeah, see, back then you had to spend three, four years in the minor leagues before you even got a chance uh, to, to get called up. So at 26, uh, today would be I would be old getting called up. Let me ask you, because you come through in the clutch. And that's a big part of, of your professional career. Were you that guy in baseball, basketball, growing up? Were you af- not afraid? Did you have success doing it early as a young kid? Because I know I kind of did, and it, it just bred the success. Did you always have sort of that clutch thing in you? Two things happened to me that at age 14, I wanted that pressure. And one number one was my father. And the funny thing about my father, he was a mix between Bobby Knight and, and uh, Woody Hayes. <laughs> Mine too. You know, if, if I scored 20 points in a game, he'd be like, why didn't you score 30? You know, I went three for four. Why didn't you go four for four? He was that kind of guy. And then the other one was Pete Rose. Uh, Pete Rose at 14 years old, I was picking up balls in the batting cage. And, you know, Pete was hitting and we were picking the balls up for him, me and Tommy. And I stopped him and I said, Mr. Rose, can I ask you a question? How are you so clutch? You know, because at that time he was Mr. Clutch. He was, you know, Mr. Hustle and everything else. And, you know, I said, he said, well, listen, Jimmy, he said, you see right now, spring training, I treat every at bat during this spring training like I do the last game of the World Series. And I said, well, why do you do that? He said, because no matter if I treat every at bat as the most important thing, then I will never think about what's going on around me, whether it's the World Series. Whether, and he said, it takes away the pressure as far as my thinking goes. And I was like, wow, you know, and this was 14 years old. And from that point on, Rex, my mindset was, give me the ball, give me the ball. Whether it was, you know, come up in the last inning to hit or I take the last shot. The other thing my dad taught me was, even though our sports were team sports, there were two moments in base, one in baseball, one in basketball, that it wasn't a team sport. It was when you were going into the batter's box and it was when you were shooting a free throw. And my dad said, you can't blame anybody else if you miss your free throws. And he used to make me, and that was his thing. He shot like 97%. That's hard to Kent live State. up to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, But I think that's really why I really wanted that pressure moment. I love that pressure moment. And I was able to, to come through because I didn't think of what was going on around me. I was concentrating on the most important thing. Was that at bat? Awesome. Awesome. What's a- Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. 
Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. What up, everyone? It's Lunchbox from the Bobby Bone Show, and I'm here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get you anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Like being a major league baseball player, 162 games a year plus the playoffs, especially as a catcher, you know, one of the more daunting and, and taxing positions in the game. Well, you know, that's where I kind of had a break because I wasn't the everyday catcher. You know, I, I caught Andy Pettit was I was his personal catcher, and you know, there would be one or two other guys a week that I would catch, but I was able to play other positions. So it was able to give me a little bit of a break, a little bit of a rest, but it was I was still able to play in the lineup, which is a huge thing because most catchers, when they don't play, they're not in the lineup, you know, because they yeah. can't play other positions. Man, it's got to be a grind, though. I mean, it, 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 no matter what you're, you know, if you're relieving all of it, because I mean, just the, you know, some of the monotony of the days you're spending days in different cities and look i know you know i know we have the greatest job in the world as a professional athlete but it's not without its issues how daunting is it just getting up and going every single day every single day 
Yeah, it was interesting. In my first couple of years in the big leagues, I lived in Florida. My family was from Ohio, and uh, they all still live in Cincinnati. And every offseason, I'd come home, and they're like, when are you coming to Ohio? I'm like, guys, I've been traveling all year. If you want to come see me, you come to Florida, which wasn't a bad place to go to. But you know, right. <laughs> in the beginning, they didn't understand. And then all of a sudden, they started to realize, wow, you know, you're on the road. And even like, you, no one lives in the spring training town, so you're away 30 days right then. And then you go away for your season, you know, which was, I went from Florida to New York. So if I saw my house three months out of the year, I was lucky, you know, and especially in 95, 96, 90. And when we started winning and going to the playoffs in the World Series, we never got home till the end of October. And so you had November, December, January, and February, you were packing back up and going to spring training again. So it was a little bit difficult. And like you said, the mental grind of 162 games in 180 days plus spring training, that was more of a grind than anything else. And everybody always says today, hey, what do you miss about the game? What do you miss? Do you miss playing? And I said, I miss playing. I miss the camaraderie with the guys. I miss seeing the fans. I don't miss the travel. Yeah. Again, the two tunnel errors. All right, let's fast forward a little bit. 96 World Series, Game 4. Yeah. You hit a three-run home run to tie the game. The Yankees win in six games. What do you remember about the parade and how you were treated that summer? And then you're traded. Oh, you know, being caught up in the 90s when we were losing 100 games and, you know, we got really close in 94. We, we were going to be in the World Series in 94. And then, of course, the strike hits. Then we get to the point where we finally get Don Mattingly to a playoff game. We win the first two games against Seattle, and then we get swept. You know, it was kind of like, and I hit a huge home run that year in the playoffs, but it became a footnote because we didn't win. Well, we get to 96, and I come up in the eighth inning against Wallers, and I hit the big home run that ties it up and completely shifted the momentum. And then we went on to win that game on the Wade Boggs walk, win the series, and the parade Rex, it was nuts. It was, I remember, I remember the 94 Rangers winning because I was a huge hockey fan and I drank out of the 94 cup with the Rangers. But <laughs> I remember awesome. the Rangers, the Rangers parade in 94. And I was like, man, that would be awesome to have one of those for us. And then we get to 96, we win the, and there were four and a half million people at this parade. And it was just one of the most awesome days that we ever had. I can imagine. But then you're traded. I mean, that had to be just kind of bittersweet, right? Well, it was a situation where I wanted to play every day. And I, at this particular time, you know, Mr. Steinbrenner loved me because I just hit the biggest home run for him. And he already started loving me after 95 because I hit that one home. And, and so we had a really, really good relationship. And after the 96 season was over, I was in Tampa working out. And I walked into Mr. Steinbrenner's office and said, you know, am I going to play more next year? You know, is there any way that you can find out? Because if I'm not, I would appreciate it if you give me an opportunity to go play somewhere else. Wow. He was like, let me talk to Mr. Tory. And so my, he knew, he, he was drinking buddies with my agent. And uh, so I get a phone call. <laughs> yeah. <Helps. laughs> 
It helps. So I get a phone call like four days later from my agent saying, did you talk to Steinbrenner? And I said, yeah, I just kind of asked him. I wanted to play every day. And I said, you know, I was comfortable doing that. And he said, well, he just called me and said, if I can make a deal for you, that he'll allow you to go somewhere else to play every day. And he said, I've been on the phone for the last two days, and I've got a deal with the Anaheim Angels. You're going to get a three-year contract, which is my first multi-year contract. And they want you to come there and catch every day. And I was like, wow. Now, at the time, Rex, I was working out at the complex in Tampa with the Yankees. So they trade me, and I come in the next day, and I walk into Mr. Steinbrenner's office with my bag, and I said, hey, thank you so much for everything. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to go play somewhere else. And he said, Jimmy, he said, you will always be a Yankee. He said, why do you have your bag? I said, well, I can't work out anymore. I'm, I'm an angel now. He said, you go put that bag back in your locker. You can work out at this field as long as you want, you know, as long as you don't come back and kill us, you know, <laughs> that, that type of situation. <laughs> right. But he was just such a great, loyal guy. And, and like I said, most people didn't know that I actually asked for the trade. Yeah. And so it actually was a benefit for me to be able to get that opportunity. What did that three years of security, uh, that three-year deal, how gratifying was that for you? Yeah, it was something that even though I had some good years with the Yankees, even you know, 94, 95, 96, um, I wasn't getting anything more than a one-year contract. And it was... Every offseason was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Where am I going to play? What, what's going to happen? Uh, to have that security for the Angels to do that um, and give me that three-year deal, I didn't really care after that whether or not I got traded 75 more times. I knew that I had three years. You know, baseball's different. You know, baseball's a guaranteed contract. And to have that kind of security, uh, it, it meant the world to me. And it meant that I finally had an opportunity to play every day. There was no better feeling than having that. It's amazing. You admitted using amphetamines during your career when they were still legal in the league. What was the process behind that? How much did it actually help? Was it for injury recovery, performance, or was there more to it? How did you become introduced to them? Well, this is where you and I are kindred spirits. I mean, the bottom line is I have ADHD really, really bad. All right. And had they had the medicine and knowing that amphetamines helped ADHD, they probably would have given it to me back then, like they do now to the players that have it, you know? And I didn't know back then when I took them that that was actually helping me concentrate. That was actually having me focus. That was the advantage, you know? And again, it had nothing to do with giving, making me stronger or making me better. You know, it was just the ability to focus the, and then let my natural abilities come out. And had, like I said, had it been diagnosed back then, it would have been fine. I can't, that makes complete sense. Um, you know, and I would get bored in baseball. You know, I'd lose concentration before you knew it. I'm just looking at the girls and forgetting what's going on in the, on the field. So that makes complete sense. Wow. Yeah, and that was a situation where, you know, guys were taking, a lot of guys were just taking it just to, instead of drinking five cups of coffee, yeah. it was maybe safer to take an amphetamine. You know, and again, it was just one of those things that it gave you about a three and a half to four hour lift, just long enough to get through a baseball game, which unless we were playing the Red Sox, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but just long enough to get through a game and to be, have that concentration for that full three and a half, four hours. Looking back, do you think you had any, any destructive character traits or vices during your time as a player that carried over into your retirement? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I made a lot of personal decisions, you know, relationships, sexual, you know, doing things sexually. And uh, there were so many things that, number one, it was just, 
a smorgasbord because you were in the major leagues and everything was there. And a kid from Cincinnati, Ohio, growing up, you know, I was not privy to that type of thing. It was, it, you know, you get lost in it sometimes. And even though I was still having success on the field and even though I was still doing well, it was one of those situations, not playing every day. I had a lot of free time, you know, and I was the kind of guy that, I, you know, I embraced New York. I wore a cowboy hat. I had a cowboy boots. I was known as country Jim. And, uh, you know, my first experience in a nightclub in New York was sitting at a table that they got for me because I was Jim Larris of the New York Yankees, the new rookie sensation. And I'm sitting there with my cowboy hat, my cowboy boots. And all of a sudden, these three big black bouncers come up to me and go, excuse me, can we ask you a question? Do you mind if our client sits with you? And I'm like, sure. Yeah, you know, it's not my table, but they just put me here. All of a sudden, come walking in. It's called the China Club back in the day. Yeah, I remember come the China Club. In, Eddie Murphy sits down next to me. And you talk about complete, like, I know Eddie Murphy. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so awesome. This is so great. And then he sits down and he goes, who would have thought this pairing would have happened, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but that was my first experience. And then I went to the China Club every Monday night, you know, because that was the time to go. Um, and it just, I really enjoyed the, the nightlife. I, I wasn't a drug guy. I wasn't that besides the amphetamines. I was a drinker and I liked to go out at night and, you know, and have a good time and, and it really embraced New York city. And I think that's why a lot of fans liked me because I was out and about, it wasn't just this standoffish guy. I was part of the community. I did a lot of stuff with the police benevolent associations. I did a lot of things with the, because I was in the city. Uh, it was great to be part of that, but I also made a lot of bad choices that my father and my mother uh, were like, we didn't bring you up that way, young man, you know? And yeah. uh, so, you know, you pay the price as you get a little bit older and realize, wait, I could have probably done some things different back then. Yeah. Yeah. While you were playing, did you ever have any brushes with the law? No, nothing. And that's what I said. When I first had my accident after I got done playing and I had the accident, people, you know, most of the guys that I knew were shocked. They're like, dude, you've never got a DUI. You've never had a drinking problem. I mean, as many nights as I spent in a bar in New York, I never got into a fight. You know, it, it was one of those situations. You, you, you yeah, never who's saw gonna, my name Who's going to fight Jim Layritz in the bar? Yeah. Who's going to do that? <laughs> Eddie Murphy's not doing that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it was, that was the situation. And, and again, um, when we're younger, and we're, as we're athletes, we kind of feel invincible. And unfortunately, back then there was no cell phones, there was no social media. You know, you weren't gonna get in trouble if you were doing some crazy things, you know? And it was kind of back then, Rex, you know, hey, we'll keep it hush-hush, don't worry. You know, we're not gonna tell anybody, don't worry. That, it was that type of thing. So you were more apt to get in a little bit more trouble because there was not as many consequences as there is today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio discover more shows and movies for free what up everyone it's lunchbox from the bobby bone show and i'm here to tell you the national sales event is on at your toyota dealer making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car 
Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get you anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Career Builder is made for people who have that thing. You know, those superpowers that make you good at your job. The skills you bring to work. And CareerBuilder knows those skills make you right for other jobs too. Higher paying jobs with benefits. Jobs you never thought of trying. Are you a people person? Work from home as a customer service rep. Are you organized and like driving? Become a delivery driver. You have the skills it takes and CareerBuilder.com has the jobs to get you hired fast. Visit CareerBuilder.com. Jim and I were professional athletes in the same era and didn't have to deal with the same public scrutiny that the players today do. I was not a drinker during my career, as I told you. Jim admittedly was. Not only was he a man of the people, but he was the king in a city that never sleeps and he took advantage. A place that has a bar on nearly every corner, he probably never had to pay for a drink as a Yankee. Some players and people are able to dance through raindrops. Jim felt invincible at the time, but to any outside observer, a clear pattern was emerging. You traveled around the league a bit. You find yourself back in pinstripes in 99, win another World Series, unbelievable, King of New York again, until they trade you again. Uh, we're both pros, but explain to the listeners who aren't pros or maybe who are how it feels to be a cog that can sort of easily be replaced on a team, especially as such a clutch player you've been your whole career. Yeah, you know... Most of my trades, I was getting traded to a team going to the playoffs. So that was a good thing because they, they knew that my postseason history, the great run that we had with the Padres in 98, you know, and then we get to the World Series, we lose to the Yankees, but we get approval for Petco Park for the new stadium in San Diego. So we feel like, hey, wow, we accomplished a lot that year, even though we lost the World Series. I mean, I make the joke all the time. People say, what's the difference between playing in New York and San Diego? I said, well, in San Diego... We lost the World Series, but we still had a parade. <laughs> I go, you lose the World Series in New York, you don't leave your house for two weeks. <laughs> so true. Yeah. So, so true. So that was the big thing. But in 99, I, I got traded back because the Padres, you know, they got rid of everybody. I get traded back to the Yankees. We win the World Series again. We go into the 2000 season. I hit another home run in that World Series, uh, which became the last home run of the century. Wow. And, uh, yeah, unreal. Now that's fucking cool. The last home well, the run cool of the part century. About it was, yeah, I, came, I had come back to the Yankees that year from a broken hand. 
And in batting practice, I couldn't hit the ball out. And Jeter and Knobloch and all those guys were giving me such a hard time because usually batting practice was my main thing and I would hit home runs with strawberry. Well, I come back and I can't hit the ball and Jeter and them are making fun of me. And I go, guys, listen, this was back in July. I said, listen, when it counts, I'll hit a home run. And then sure enough, my only at bat in that World Series, I pinch hit for strawberry and I hit that home run. I come running around the bases and Jeter's waiting there for me. He goes, I don't believe it. I'm like, I told you. <laughs> and it's so great. Nothing fades. Long drive left field. Has Leyland done it again? You bet. Two thousand comes. I'm in a, the visiting team's bar in Boston. Was a place called Daisy Buchanan's. It's where we all hung out. You I know, know Daisy yeah, Buchanan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We ran the same circles. Uh, but so we were in Daisy Buchanan's, David Cohn and I, and we were back behind the bar making drinks and hanging out with the bartenders. And all of a sudden, Coney looks at me and goes, dude, look. And I, I'm like, what? And I look up at the TV and on the ticker tape on ESPN, it says, Jim Layrich traded to the Dodgers for Jose Vizcaino. <laughs> I found this out in a bar. Oh my God. <laughs> because again, we didn't have cell phones back then. They couldn't call me on my cell to tell me, hey, we just traded you, right? So Coney looks at me and I'm with Shane Spencer and his wife and my wife and we're all hanging out. And all of a sudden they go, what are you gonna do? And I'm like, I'm just gonna keep drinking because I can't change this now, I'm leaving. <laughs> so that's when I went to the Dodgers and then I ended up getting hurt with the Dodgers uh, later in that year. And that was the last time I was at the major league level. Yeah, well, when did you know? Did you know right then that, that you needed to hang it up? I mean, what was no, that? No, actually, I went home. Uh, it was a torn rotator and torn labrum on my right side. And I went to Dr. Andrews. He fixed it all up. Um, I went to spring training in 2001 with the Mets and was going to try to make their team out of spring training. And I ended up getting hurt again. But yeah, I think it was March 17th, I got hurt again and they released me. Uh, then I went home and I found this thing called HGH. And one of the doctors in Florida told me, hey, listen, you want to get you know, healthy quicker, you can take this HGH and you'll recover quicker. It's not a steroid because I couldn't take steroids because I had prostate cancer in my family. Uh, yeah. And steroids would just kill you right away if you took that. And he said, HGH is much safer. Try this. So for about six weeks, I took the HGH. Well, the problem was my PSA levels started to go through the roof. Ah, uh, yeah. And I had to stop taking that also. But I got healthier. And I ended up going to an independent league in the Newark Bears. And I played there for 26 games. And the San Diego Padres signed me. And I went back to play AAA. And uh, first game back, I get hit in the hand with a pitch and I break my hand. Oh, my God. But it's crazy sometimes how things happen when I look back on it. And, you know, I've had a rebirth with Christ after everything I've been through. And, you know, I look back now on it and I'm like, I didn't know at the time that my ex-wife was at, my wife at the time was having drug problems because I was away trying to play and get my career back. And she was using, and the kids were, I had a nanny and a housekeeper that, thank goodness, because they took care of the kids while she was out doing her thing. But long story short, I come home and it's a mess. And I took her back for a while. She relapsed again. We end up getting divorced. Um, I end up doing more rehab on my shoulder. And in 2003, the Padres call me up and say, hey, listen, we heard that you're healthy. Do you want to come back and play? We'll offer you a million dollar contract to come back and play. Well, Rex, 
I had just gotten full custody of my three boys. They were two years old, seven years old, and nine years old at the time. And the judge in Florida, my family court judge, I went to him and said, listen, I want to keep custody. I want to take the boys with me to San Diego. I'll have a nanny, you know, and they'll be taken care of. And the judge in Florida said, listen, if you go back to play baseball, even though your wife's addicted to drugs and has major issues, those kids will go back to her. And I just said, that's it. You know what? And I called up Kevin Towers and said, Kevin, thank you for the offer, but I can't leave these boys in a situation like this. And to this day, it's my father's proudest moment. He called me up when I made the choice and he said, I was happy with World Series. I was happy with everything you accomplished in your life. But that decision right there is the reason why I raised you the way I did. And you know what? You'll be rewarded for that decision. And sure enough, I don't regret a day not signing back with the Padres. Man, it makes me want to cry. I've got goosebumps. Good for you, bud. (laughs) Really. On this podcast, we pride ourselves in shining the light onto darkness, coming straight from the perspective of the person who lived the events you have heard and are about to hear. While the story ahead may be upsetting for some, it's important for it to be heard in Jim's words. The turning point of his life took place at 3 a.m. on a road in Fort Lauderdale. Two strangers in the night who had decided to get behind the wheel of their vehicles after drinking. One was Jim. The other was a 30-year-old mother of two. Only one lost their life. Well, you know, here on Charges, we enjoy talking about the good times, but also got to talk about the bad times, too. You know, for the betterment of ourselves and our community of listeners, if you don't mind. Tell me about the night you went out to celebrate your 44th birthday. Yeah, it was crazy. It was a situation where, um, you know, I was turning 44 years old. Uh, and at the time, again, I had the kids with me. Uh, the boys and I, we spent all day at the beach together. We, uh, we hung out. I took them out to dinner around seven o'clock. And while we were at dinner, my ex-wife called me and said, you know, hey, cause she was clean at the time and sober. And she said, Hey, listen, it's your birthday. Do you want to go out with some of your friends? I'll watch the kids tonight, but I have to work at eight o'clock in the morning. So you have to pick them up at seven you know, in, unless you're planning it, you know, whatever. And I said, well, you know what? I'm not planning on going out doing much tonight, you know. And it was a Thursday night. I got the phone. I called one of my friends up and said, hey, listen, what are you guys doing tonight? And it was a girl and her boyfriend. And then they said, well, we're going to go to dinner with our parents. But if you want to meet at 1030 for a drink, you know, we'll have a drink with you for your birthday. But we have to leave because we're flying out the next morning to the Bahamas for New Year's. And uh, of course, it was December 27th, which was my birthday. And I said, okay, so we met out for a drink and, you know, I was so fortunate that I was 44 years old, number one, and that I knew that I had to get up at seven in the morning, that I wasn't going to have a big drinking night. This was going to be a couple of drinks and just kind of hang out and, you know, celebrate with some friends. And sure enough, you know, we go out and I didn't meet them till almost 11 o'clock at night. We had a drink and the night, you know, we went to another bar and we were hanging out and around 2.30, they all decided to leave. Well, there was one kid there that was a friend of hers. And he said, can you take me home? I'm not, you know, I don't live here. And Robin goes the other, you know, the girl that I was with, she goes the other way and I'm on your way home. Can you take me home? I said, yeah, sure. No problem. He had been drinking, you know, and I was like, listen, I'll take you home. So long story short, I had maybe had two or three drinks the entire night, which was good, you know, over a three hour period, but I'm getting ready to leave the bar. And all of a sudden a Red Sox fan sees me and they say, Hey dude, 
when they saw my World Series, I had my World Series ring on. They're like, hey, we got another one of those. And I said, yeah, you know, I just got done. I was doing the World Series for Fox. I was covering the Red Sox. And he's like, no way, you were covering them? I'm like, yeah. I go, Kevin Euclid is from Cincinnati. We hung out together. You know, we had a great time. I love those guys. He's like, well, let's have a drink and a shot, you know, for their victory. And, you know, it was almost three o'clock in the morning. So I'm like, okay, sure, whatever. So I took a drink and I took a shot with them. Literally, not even a minute and a half, got out went and got in my car and went to go home, take this kid home. Well, that's literally five minutes later this accident happens. This woman who had been drinking, she comes through a red light. It's a blind intersection. I catch her back end. You know, she flips, she flips. She didn't have her seatbelt on. She you know, got ejected from the car and the impact from the cement is what caused her death. And it was just a situation. We pulled the car over. I went back to the scene and it was just a surreal moment uh, seeing someone laying there and she was still alive at the time and just, What's going to happen? What's going on? You know, why did this happen? That type of situation. And strangely enough, I had some calmness to me. Like, okay, this is a huge scenario. What are you going to do here? And I went back to my car. I picked up my phone. I called people and I said, hey, listen, I've been in an accident. You know, I need somebody to come and so forth. Long story short, they end up giving me a DUI test, which is online. Everybody can see it. Do you have any injuries? Um, Bumps? My neck is a little stiff, my back is a little stiff, yeah, she hit me pretty good. Do you wear any glasses or contacts? No, sir. Take any medication? No, sir. Under Florida law, you're required to submit to a breath test to determine the alcohol content of your breath. Do you understand? Are you willing to submit to testing? No, sir. Should you refuse to submit to the test I'm requesting, Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles will suspend your driver's license for a period of one year if this is your first refusal. 18 months if your license has been previously suspended for refusing to submit to a breath, blood, or urine test. Do you understand that so far? Yes, sir. Now, what I'm also going to advise you while we're still on video is um, the person in the other vehicle has passed away. She died. So what um, you may still be subject to is a blood draw, with or without your consent. So are you willing to give me that blood? No, sir. Okay. Um, I'm still going to request that it be done, um, but it would be without your consent. But I, I just don't want to have to fight you to get it. Do you understand that? Sure. Will you cooperate with that at least, if, even though I understand you're not consenting to it? I'm not consenting to it. Okay. From the moment this happened, did you know your life had changed forever? Well, you know, it was weird because I, w- I was thinking to myself, okay, I didn't cause this accident. I know I didn't cause it, you know, and once all the facts come out, I won't be in any trouble. And then all of a sudden, I have the DUI cop show up and he gives me the DUI test and then he puts the cuffs on me and I'm like, you know, you can see me in the video go, what, why, why are you arresting me? You know, and that video happened to be the best piece of evidence that the jury had to show that I wasn't. It didn't look like. And the reason why is because that drink and that shot had not got into my system to affect me because it takes 45 minutes to an hour for alcohol to get into your system to affect you. And realistically, medically, you know, without getting into all the detail, I was a 0.4, 0.3 at the time of the accident. And because they got my blood two hours later, it was elevated to a 0.12. So long story short, we knew we had all of the facts and everything was in our favor. I was not going to take a plea. I was willing to accept the DUI from day one because I was drinking and driving. I admitted that. But the state attorney was running to become a judge. 
And just like the Duke lacrosse situation, this state attorney was using my name to try to boast her career. And again, it was one of those situations where I went to my attorney and he came to me after two and a half years of waiting for trial and said to me, they're throwing all the evidence about the other driver out. The jury's not going to hear it. You might want to take a plea. Wow. And it, long story short, it was a 10-year plea, five years, no license, a 10-year probation, five years, no license, felony on my record, all this other stuff that I didn't do. And I said to my attorney, I went out to California and Pastor Rick Warren said a prayer over me. And in his prayer, the final words he said was, hey, give Jimmy the strength to see this to the very end. And David... My attorney's name was David. I said, I will wait and see this to the end because I believe that the Lord is taking care of me here. And we waited 17 days of a trial. The jury took less than 30 minutes to throw the DUI manslaughter trial out. And they said, even though it was proven that I was a 0.04 at the time of the accident, and that was under the DUI, that because I admitted to having a drink and a shot, that they had to give me a DUI, you know, just for the sake of it. Because the case was covered on TV by you know, in session TV, court TV. So they were like, we can't tell the public it's okay to do a drink and a shot and get in your car. So I ended up getting a DUI and it was a tough three years. As tough as it was on me, this other family was dealing with the death of a mother of you know two children from two different families, but dealing with you know, what was gonna be the finality there, we were dealing with, we couldn't move on with our life either. And my three boys didn't have a stable mother that was assuring them that, hey, daddy's going to be okay. Daddy's going to be okay. She was telling them, oh, you better enjoy the time with your father. He's going to be away forever. I mean, it was just a horrible situation for everybody. And certain things that we go through, the pains that we go through, you know what? It's painful to talk about, but you, if you don't share that pain with other people to maybe help them get through what they're going through, you know, you went through some of your things too. If we don't share that pain, then we're not doing it for the right reasons. We're not. We can't get over what happened to us if we don't share that with other people and maybe help their pain. And that's what we need to continue to do. And that's what my podcast, Catching Heat, is all about. It's all about athletes that have success, but they've maybe fallen off the case and then come back, whether it was a you know, different career or whether it was giving back to charities or foundations in their new life. That's what it's all about. And that's exactly what you're doing also. And I, I, like I said, as a fellow alum, that brings us together. But everything that we've gone through, the pain of having the getting the highs of the highs of being a professional athlete, but hitting some lows because of situ you know, our situations, but being able to bounce back from that, knowing that we have the strength to do that. That's why you and I are sitting here today and we're able to help maybe other people with some of the pain that we've been through. On November 20th, 2010, nearly three years since the tragic night of the crash, a jury handed down their decision on the case against Jim Leritz. Jim's blood alcohol level was 0.04, which is below the legal limit at the moment of the accident. Three hours later, when the blood was drawn, his blood alcohol level was 0.14. Testimony around the central accusation of the case, that he ran a red light before colliding with the other vehicle, was inconclusive. A jury acquitted Jim of DUI manslaughter. If charged, he would have faced up to 15 years in prison. He was convicted of misdemeanor DUI instead, which carries a maximum of six months. 
Earlier that year, Jim had already settled a wrongful death suit in the same case, agreeing to pay $350,000 in insurance and personal funds. Whoever was to blame, a young woman lost her life here. That time between your accident and your eventual trial was like two and a half years. What were the darkest moments for you? You know, were there times that you just, <laughs> you thought you were at your wits end? I mean, I'm only asking because, you know, you probably somebody out there struggling like this. Having three kids, age two, seven, and nine, was a savior for me. Besides reading the book, The Purpose Driven Life, and realizing sometimes we go through tough situations that make us stronger, uh, and there's a purpose for it. Um, but those three kids, you know, and not having a, a stable mother, someone who I could say, well, if I go through my stuff, at least they have a stable mom to take care of them and they'll be okay. They weren't going to be okay if I wasn't. And it was a situation that I knew that even though I shouldn't have been drinking and driving, that was a mistake I made, that all the other stuff that I was being you know, accused of and, and claimed on, that I needed to be strong and beat those accusations. You know, I went through a domestic violence situation and during that time with my ex-wife who falsely accused me, and I proved that in court eventually, but the damage was already done. You know, the damage was done because here was this Jim Leyritz going through this DUI manslaughter, drunk, murderer, and then all of a sudden now add on wife beater. That's probably the 12 days I sat in jail because I was having my rebirth with God. I was trusting in the Lord. I was trusting that he had me. And then all of a sudden this thing with my ex-wife happens and I'm sitting in jail going, God, you know that I didn't see her. I didn't touch her. I didn't do this. Why am I going through this? And why, are you, why is this happening to me? And it was interesting, Rex, I was handed a Bible in jail, which most of the time, that's what they give you. It's the only thing you can read. And I, I was reading in Psalms, and it spoke to me. It says, remember, this is temporary. This is not a permanent situation. And at the time, I had a brother-in-law who was going through Lou Gehrig's disease, and his situation was permanent. It wasn't going to get better. And it really gave me the strength to say, okay, I'm going to fight this. I'm going to prove to my the court, to the public, that I didn't even see my wife that night, that I didn't touch her, that she's kind of sick, and that she's making this stuff because she's trying to get back at me. And it took a while, but man, it was difficult. And there were times that I had to be strong for the boys during the day, but then I would go out at night in my backyard and I would just break down. I would cry, I would pray, I would just say, you know, God, you know, just give me, and it was it was hard. You know, at your sentencing, uh, Jim, which was probation and a fine, you said in part that you were gonna commit your life to changing lives and making a difference so this woman's death would not be in vain. Why did you say that? Just because, I mean, it was a situation where I knew even though she was at fault, I was guilty of drinking and driving too. I was doing the wrong too. And being in the wrong, sometimes you want to take a negative and turn that into a positive. And unfortunately, she did pass away. She wasn't going to have an opportunity to make right what she did wrong that night. And I felt like it was my obligation because, number one, God gave me that platform from being that professional athlete, gave me that platform to be able to have the opportunity even though it was going to be difficult because I was the pariah in the beginning. But I felt like I owed an obligation to her to be able to change and make sure maybe our children, maybe her children, 
and maybe the people around us made better decisions when it came to drinking and driving, when it came to wearing a seatbelt, because those are the things that caused all of the heartbreak that night and how easily they could have been avoided had both of us made different decisions. And that's the most important thing that we try to make sure that other people are learning and listening. And if one person puts a seatbelt on, if one person doesn't take a drink and drive, then I feel like, you know what? They've got my point, and I've done something positive out of something that was so tragic and so negative. Oh, beautiful. Uh, When you look back at your career as a baseball player and your life since that tragic day uh, on your 44th birthday, what sticks with you the most, Jim? Yeah, people always ask me, would you change anything about your life? And I said, I would not change anything but that night, that one night, because it's unfortunate that she lost her life. And and at the same time, that night is what's brought me to where I am. And again, something so tragic, something that was so difficult to get through, um, has made me into the person I am today. And I would not change anything but her death. When you're involved in something like that, you never lose that night. You never get rid of it, but you learn how to cope with it. And you learn that you can take that pain. You can take that situation and help other people not make the same mistakes or get draw strength from what you went through. And if you don't take that opportunity, you know, shame on you. What are you doing today with your life, man? Charitable work uh, and podcast catching heat with Jim Layritz, as you mentioned earlier. Just give me a brief look at what you're doing now. Yeah, I know. I do title insurance is my main business. I do commercial and residential title uh, out here in California and New York. But I've been part of a, a charity in New York called Pink Tie for the last six years that raises money in for, for different charities and foundations. Uh, I always work with ALS foundations because of my brother-in-law. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Stork Media came to me just about six months ago and said, hey, we're starting a new podcast. We want to have a sports person do a podcast. What would you like to do? Because we want you to do the podcast. And I said, okay, I'll do a sports-related or celebrity-related podcast, but it's not going to be a daily thing. I want to do once a week. And I want to do a story on guys who have been through some hard times or guys that have used their platform from their playing days, from their music days, from whatever that might be, to turn around and do something else that is positive and doing something for other people. And I want, I want to do more stories on that because there's enough negativity in this world. I don't think there's enough people doing the positive things, being able to show, hey, did you know that Daryl Strawberry, besides being an addict and being kicked out of baseball, has now changed his life and become a pastor and is preaching the gospel and cha- bringing people to God, that he's opening up rehab centers all around the United States? The New York Post, the Daily News, the mainstream media doesn't really care about you once you've left the limelight. But you know what? The things that he's doing now is so much more important than any home run or any World Series or anything that you did on a basketball court. The things that you're doing now are so much more important and should be highlighted because you are out there helping people, changing lives. And that's the biggest gift that God can give all of us. And something I say on this pod uh, all the time is you're never as bad as your worst moment. If you learn from it, work to improve yourself. You seem like that exact model, the exact model of that mantra, man. Uh, What do you want people to remember about you? And what do you want people to learn from you and your journey? I think the most important thing is I never settled for less than the truth. You know, um, I never gave up. 
I was never drafted, but yet I was able to turn it into a big league career, have a moment that every kid would dream about in the World Series, a couple of them, you know, and, but I also, that was my baseball legacy. And I always talk about it in my speaking engagements. I wanted to also leave a life legacy for my kids, for other people. And you know what? This situation that I went through, it really made me reboot my entire life. And we always said the same thing, Rex. As a professional athlete, it's only one third of our life. We got two thirds that we live afterwards that we don't think about when we're playing. But man, when you have a setback, when you have something like that happen, you know, Pastor, my pastor always says, you know, your setback is setting you up for your best comeback. Well, that's kind of how I looked at this situation was my comeback was even greater from a personal legacy to be able to leave my children that says God is your center point, that God is your, is your savior, that you can get through all things with his strength and with his thing. And you know what? It's not going to all be good. You're still going to have problems. You're still going to go through heartaches. But you know what? If you keep God as your center point, you'll be able to get through them. And as long as you have a breath, you can help other people. Jim, brother, thank you so much. I I can't thank you enough for doing this, really. And you let me know if I can ever do anything for you. I appreciate that, man. Thank you for having me. And like I said, it's, it's great to catch up with the UK alum. You too, buddy. Charges, sharing our run-ins with the law. Charges, athletes, entertainers, and ballers. Charges, every celebrity ain't flawless. Charges, we came a long way from living lawless. Charges, sharing our run-ins with the law. Charges, athletes, entertainers, and ballers. Charges, every celebrity ain't flawless. Charges, we came a long way from living lawless. Charges. Charges is created by Portal A and Control Media. It's produced by DB Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. 
All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscored.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep.